welcome to Bending Boundaries, the Northwest Social Science Tutorial Partnership sponsored podcast, um, exploring underrepresented experiences of PhD researchers. We're your hosts, Megan, Saren, and Ibru. And today we're talking about the work that PhD researchers do while doing their PhD and writing their own projects or thesis. When applying for a PhD, the application process focuses on the project that you will develop, research and write up over the years. But when you start, you realise that working on your PhD project is just one of many activities that will take up your time. And these activities include, but are not limited to, for instance, teaching, submitting papers for journals, reviewing papers for journals, um, drafting conference papers, applying to present at conferences. And while doing these tasks is technically optional, for most PhD researchers, it's actually unavoidable for a number of reasons we're gonna be discussing today. So we'll be talking about our experiences taking up these activities and how rewarding and challenging they can be. And also how PhD researchers are compensated for doing these activities. So let's have a little catch up and then get started. So, hi guys, <laughs> welcome back. Um, it's just after the Christmas break for our listeners. So yeah, happy how you, new year. Happy new year. <laughs> They'll probably hear it in February, but happy new year anyway. <laughs> uh how are you guys doing yeah we're just saying we're all good um and already back into working and stuff even though yeah as you say this is coming out in february so that probably feels like we should be by this point yeah i feel like january is always a little bit tough it's like you're you're in this in-between space you're just coming out of whatever you did over Christmas, if that was just, you know, like me, cuddle up with your dogs and eat popcorn and watch Home Alone, or, you know, whether that was being with family, you just, I feel like everyone is just taking a little bit of a breather, but then getting back into the motion of things and, you know, it's like you really slow down just to kind of accelerate your pace again. I don't know. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I actually... Maybe we can like speak about some highlights. I just want to share something that just crossed my mind. Um, a couple like weeks ago, I did a my heritage DNA test. Ooh, I mean, this is interesting for like you know um, diversity purposes, but <laughs> I never never thought you know I I had a bet with my friend, so my best friend gifted me this DNA kit, and she's like, "Oh my god, I bet you're gonna be white," and I'm like, "I'm not white. Come on, like not a single part of me." Okay, mm. and then. Uh, Turns out I am over 5.8% Finnish. Oh, 5.8%. Yes. And it's like, not just like generic Scandinavian. No, it's Finnish in particular. Mm. So I'm just like, hmm, who did what? And that family <laughs> line of mine. <laughs> Where did the Finnish person <laughs> Yeah, it's so interesting. So that was like a little highlight. What about you, Megan? How was your Christmas? How are you feeling? Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I was in Liverpool, London, and I went to Belgium as well. And kind of along the lines of what you were saying, I went to this museum in Antwerp, which is, it was like the Red Star Line Museum, which was like, it's like the, where all the immigration from like Eastern Europe to America, like it's where they had to go through. So we went to that place and it was really cool. It was, and at the end, it was really interesting because it was also like they go to Liverpool as well. So they'd go to Antwerp and then go to Liverpool and then go to America. And I was like, oh, this is like, 
I don't know. I felt connected to it. Um, but there was like a, a thing at the end, which was like a a postcard, which had the world and you had to draw the map of your like um, where your family had traveled and stuff. And my map is kind of like a bit, <laughs> my friend, she literally just put a dot in Belgium and that was it. And then I was like, oh, from India to Guyana to England to Jamaica from Africa. To... And I was like, oh, my, my, I have a lot more lines than you. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was it was quite funny um but yeah it was a fun um yeah fun break nice getting the Eurostar there was like the day I went the day after there was like loads of cancellations and then the day before mm-hmm. I went back there was loads of problems and I was like I missed all the problems so yeah back to work mm-hmm. went into my office and the heating doesn't work so that was a pretty terrible Ooh. situation um <laughs> but I think it's starting to work now but yeah defrosting like the rest of us is the building defrosting that's a, <laughs> that's a great yeah that's a great way to think about it so is there one thing this year that you want to do that you haven't done that you want to incorporate in your I don't know everyday yeah so I <laughs> I kept having this was catching up with lots of friends over we kept having like new year's resolution talks but one thing a lot of my friends do 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 lingo and they um like a lot of them had like the year long thing this year so I'm going to try and do Duolingo every day this year this is my plan like do my Spanish but sometimes Duolingo is like a bit it feels a bit rubbish but um it's a language learning app people don't know (laughs) um with a owl that's always telling you off for not doing it (laughs) um blackmailing you (laughs) yeah exactly very emotionally blackmailing emails you get it's like you've upset me it's like okay sorry anyway but I'm gonna try and do it every day (laughs) this is my plan nice you guys do you have anything what about you Saren um I think mine's just to try and finish my PhD and go outside more was my resolution Mm -hmm. what about you so you know I'm like my entire life I've been so anti- meditation and I don't know manifesting like I don't know I see everyone doing a vision board right like there's so many uh Instagram videos on like make a vision board with me and I don't know I feel like I carry all of these visions in my head and I'm quite frankly too lazy to make a vision board I think you know Mm -hmm. I, I want to be that kind of aesthetic girl but um So, but something I've actually kind of have been talking with my therapist a lot is that maybe I don't have to think about meditation as a way to just like sit down and do breathing exercises and, you know, this kind of like whole structured thing, but I can just think of it as like taking time for myself and um, just kind of, you know, when I'm doing, I love to do Pilates. So maybe those like five minutes in the end where I'm stretching could be my kind of meditation. So I've really been trying to get into that and to, to just kind of, you know, rid myself. And it sounds so cliche maybe, but of negative thoughts, because I, I think it's so easy for survival mechanisms or purposes to always focus on the negative than the positive, Mm -hmm. even with the like one thing goes wrong you get one negative comment and you think that's like the whole PhD and you forget all about your other accomplishments so but yeah and then I heard someone say like positive visions or things you want to accomplish like aspirations or dreams are just memories from the future 
So, okay. Ooh, that's... I'll, I'll let it sink in because it's interesting, isn't it? So I'll leave that. I like yeah. it. Let's see what I'll do with it this year. <laughs> yeah, I feel like by like when we do the last episode of the season, we can reflect on yeah. where we are with our goals. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So Sarah, you already have written up. It's just it's it's already done. You know, it's it's a memory from the future. Is it now? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's all done. <laughs> We all are doctors already, just in a different time. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, on that note, shall we talk about all of our extra activities we're doing in our PhD as well as writing the thesis? Um, so, yeah, this is, I just thought I'd ask everyone's general feelings about this. I personally, before I started doing the PhD, didn't realise that there would be so many other things that I would be doing alongside it. I, I don't know. I'd heard people say, you know, this is one of the only opportunities in your life where you just get to think about one thing in like a huge amount of detail. And I think that's true. Like, I think it is obviously a huge privilege and it's an amazing thing. But also there are quite a lot of other things that are extremely time consuming and distracting that I didn't anticipate. And while these things can be as well, like hugely beneficial, um, I don't know. I didn't, I, they were unexpected for me. Um, and I guess some of these activities, as Zebra said, were things like um, as a PhD student, you're also a teacher, you're also um, a reviewer, you're also like fighting with every other, you know, academic sort of person to try and get something published, to try and present at a conference, to try and present a poster, like, there's there's so much pressure to do all of these extra things and I think for me it felt it feels like um even though you don't have to do those things if you don't then there's basically and you want to continue in academia after your PhD you don't really have any hope unless you have these things on your CV as well um so yeah how how do you guys feel about all these extra things yes it's interesting talking about how we felt before like we started like what we thought because I think I visit, I had a couple of friends who were doing PhDs. So I kind of knew, I don't know if I knew they had to do extra stuff, but I knew they were doing extra stuff, like which, like doing um, discussions and events and things, which I would go to and I thought were really like cool. I was like, oh, that's going to be a good part of the process. I remember talking to my friend before I started and she was like, I was like oh maybe I'll I'll work the whole time like keep my job like that I had and, and she was like no she's like you need to focus on your PhD <laughs> and she was like I had the problem of doing like all doing all these events and doing all that stuff she so she was like you have to like focus on it <laughs> and I, I remember her, but so I was kind of aware that there was additional stuff that you could be doing but and the distraction ability of that and I know and I was like oh I know that I'm the type of person to try and like throw myself into stuff like that so I was like I always try and keep her advice she's like just focus on the PhD focus on the PhD but yeah it's hard and distracting and like you said it's kind of also there's a pressure that's not it's not just oh I want to do it because it's fun it's also like you're meant to be doing it and it's good for your CV and it's good for this so yeah that's kind of how I was feeling about it before I started mm. I feel like I kind of entered the PhD a little bit maybe 
naive. So I didn't know anything about you know, what it meant to establish an academic profile. I think that's the pressure that is kind of on my mind always, kind of the things that people tell you during induction week when you first start your PhD and you get to know the program and everything, like apply for conferences, go to international conferences. It's an opportunity for personal and academic growth, establish your academic identity, build relationships so you can find potential co-authors, for in the future and, you know, look at potential universities you might want to work at later. And I feel like that is so much to keep track with while you're doing like a passion project, ideally, or, you know, you have a topic you were given as a PhD and you're working on that. Um, and, you know, I feel like I was naive in the kind of way that when I was doing my master's, yes, I was a board member of the queer feminist society of my university back then. I was a P and I was a doc. No, oh my God, my head. I was a master's representative, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not the same. I feel like the workload is not, the pressure is not the same. So because during the PhD, I feel like, as I said, you have all of these things on your mind that kind of touch on the PhD. There's a purpose, there's an importance of doing these things. But at the same time, you know, with attending conferences, it's not just like, I'm going to apply, I'm going to this conference. So, you know, like I, when we were catching up a little bit ago, like I was telling you, there was this deadline two days ago for this big, big conference um, called EGOS in the management and organization field. And um I feel like usually, and maybe you have similar or different experiences, like six months prior to the deadline, you're looking into where did it take place? What's the theme of the conference? How would my research fit into this theme? What kind of conference streams are there? How could my research contribute? Like you're researching all of these things. You're doing huge extensive readings just for kind of, of course, a deadline, but yes for your PhD but it's actually for the deadline in that moment and at the same time you're expected to have a profile of being engaged with the wider community and I do think that I've been struggling with that so in the past couple of months I've been saying a lot more like no to things in a very kind way just because you also at some point want to finish your PhD it's it's a difficult um yeah it's definitely challenging mm -hmm. do we want to oh sorry go on i know i was just gonna say yeah i also agree um that it can be quite overwhelming and um i don't know i was sort of under the impression because of the way that my degree works which is my degree my phd works which is yeah. in anthropology um is that um you sort of prepare for research for a year then you go and you do your research for a year and then you come back and write up and speaking to mm -hmm. quite a few people people said just don't worry about you know the extras until after you're back from field work and not everyone does that at all in anthropology I know people who've like taught in their first year and stuff like that but because I think because I was started during co like the height of covid um mm -hmm. that's sort of how it's worked out but now i'm i'm 
in that year of writing up and I've suddenly realized I haven't really done any of these things but also my PhD ends quite soon so I'm now like rushing to do all of those things but also trying to write up within a year mm -hmm. um, it's just quite it's quite intense basically yeah and I, I guess also like with the field work and everything you have to go somewhere else that's not where the university is or you live somewhere else or it's something and then it's like you physically can't do it unless you really want to put yourself out <laughs> and like going back and forth it's like yeah it sounds like that structure would stop you would it makes sense that they would say wait until you come back to do it because you can't do it when you're not there mm. should we talk about maybe some of the specific things I thought one of the good topics to talk about is conferences because there's lots of different aspects to that it can be just going to it and networking there like Ibra you were saying um quite a lot about you know finding like-minded people and who you can form other events with things like that um but then yeah also like applying to present or in various forms um have you I know Ibra you've done that have you started doing that yet Megan well so what I've done with conferences so my department has a conference like and I helped organize it last year, which um, I won't do again. <laughs> but it was okay. <laughs> it's just annoying, and that took up a lot of time. A lot. It was a lot. The what? Sorry. Sorry, I was just saying it's a lot. Like mm. it's you know, there's one word organizing a conference, but then what did you all have to do? <laughs> yeah, it's just like oh yeah, you have to do an event, like make an event and do this and be there at this time, and it was just a bit too much work but that's kind of an internal one but then um this year I'm helping organize a session for the American geography something association um they're doing about like fat studies in geography um which is yeah like we I've connected with someone who's in America and then another person she's in Manchester doing her PhD and um so we're organizing it together and so we're like meeting up, talking about that, writing the, I don't know, what's it called? Call for papers. Yeah. Um, putting yeah. out there, as I mentioned in the last episode, getting weird feedback from random yeah. strange people. Yeah. And then, yeah, getting applications, looking through the applications. We didn't actually get that many, but we, yeah, we looked through them and then putting the session together. So yeah. to do that in like the last two months in 2023. So yeah, that was kind of, it's not too much work but it's kind of like oh well, you have to meet and talk and it's just kind of like a bit time consuming not too bad but like it's something in the back of your head and like something to be doing at the on the side um but and I think I've applied also to what do you I've submitted a paper but that got rejected for like there was a fat studies conference in the UK um mm -hmm. but that was also fine like I didn't my supervisor was like, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. And I kind of didn't really, I wasn't too invested in it, but it was just like, okay, it's one less thing to do. But yeah, that's, like, that's kind of my experience. I feel like it's a huge thing. You know, we think of conferences and it could be like, Megan, you organized a conference. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes you organize a conference and you partake in a conference as a presenter. Yeah. And then, you know, trying to make sure that you also include as many diverse um, researchers as possible with kind of diverse research topics and trying to 
you know, really prioritize that. And yeah, as you say, it's kind of challenging because also to what end, because it, it does take time away from your main project. Right. But at the same time, I feel like it's can also be super rewarding. So being in my third year, it's the first time that I'm actually part of organizing a conference stream for the gender work organization conference. And it's been a very interesting and rewarding process. And so far as I got to draft a proposal similar like you have done, Megan, with like co-authors. And it's kind of it's a really rewarding process to see, oh, okay, so this is how co-authoring a paper also works really similarly, right? Like you learn a lot about the dynamics and um, how to just write together, which can be challenging as well, because you have to listen to each other and, you know, kind of have empathy for other people's different writing styles, um, expertise. And um, I don't know, it's been, for me, it's been challenging, rewarding, but at the same time, um, when I was looking at, wow, I could have like spent these couple of weeks where I was working on this on analyzing data, right? So it's like, I don't know, it's, I feel like it's such a huge thing as a PhD student to get the opportunity to organize something like that, whether it's a conference, a conference stream or a workshop. Um, it's just about, hmm, I don't know where that sentence would go. It's just about, but I guess being at peace somehow while you're doing it, maybe being aware of how much you can give. And I think that's something I'm still learning because I'm always like, okay, I'm all in. And yeah, that that is not the best approach. <laughs> Saren, what do you think, Saren, about the labor of conferences? Like, what's your experience? Um, it's pretty limited, I think, um, in both attending and presenting at conferences. I think because also I started my PhD during like the yeah the height of COVID, it meant that lots of um, conferences didn't really happen or they happened online. And there's not really any room for sort of networking at conferences that are online and stuff. So I'm very new to that. I've basically been to a handful of conferences where I feel like I've actually been in person and had discussions with people and I found it really hard because I think it's like it's like a muscle you need to you need to work um and so yeah that's something I'm trying to work on this year and in networking in general something I'm trying to work on this year it's one of my um like on my list of things to do for like Mm -hmm. January, January and February is to like get in contact with I don't know, researchers at my local university in Cardiff to try and find people with more similar research interests. And mm-hmm. um, even though I'm not at based at the Cardiff University, it's it's here. And that might be nicer to have some more connection with like academics here. And then in terms of presenting, I've applied to, I think, two conferences. Um, and I'm I've was accepted for one and the other one I just never heard from. So I assume that's rejection. Um, and it's in March. And I have no idea what I will do um, <laughs> or how it will work. You know, um, I know that I need to like block in an amount of time where I put my writing up to one side and then yeah. work on a presentation. Um, but yeah, I'm quite scared about it just because it's not something I've ever done before. Um, mm. 
but yeah that's kind of my experience really Yeah, I think I've attended, I went to the like geography postgraduate conference thing, which was, it was good. It was like, yeah, it was nice to be around loads of geography PhD students. And there was like, I think it was mainly, I don't know if it was mainly human geography, but the ones I went to were like human geography and like a bit more, um, I don't know, sometimes I feel a bit strange in my department because I'm like, oh, you know, I'm doing like fat phobia. It's kind of sociology. It's kind of like about like race and everything and other people are more sciencey or more yeah so sometimes but at that conference there was loads of people who were doing geography in the same way I was mm. so it's like a nice feeling just to be around people where you're like oh I'm doing geography but I'm not it's not weird <laughs> I'm doing it because they were all doing it the same way mm. and that's where I met actually one of the people I'm organizing the the AAG session with so mm. like I knew of her but I hadn't met her before so it was like a nice way to like be like oh hey we can actually kind of and it kind of solidifies connections with people like because you're like oh okay I actually know who you are and we can have a chat and stuff um the most exciting part yeah to just mm -hmm. find people that doing stuff maybe differently like you do or kind of different kinds of research right that I think that's been like the most what I got the most out from conferences is to connect with other queer feminist scholars because mm -hmm. um, it's really hard to get queer work published in really um, highly ranked journals yeah. so having those conversations with like-minded people it kind of makes you feel less alone and Sarah you know you were saying you're a little bit scared because it's going to be like your first time kind of experience doing something like that I totally get it I feel like the nausea really yeah for me I get physically nauseous like I feel sick but um I've just, through attending conferences where I didn't present, it kind of like dehumanizes everything because you see these are people just like you and I, they have nerves, they are nervous, the computer is not working, the tech is failing. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, um, I mean, of course there are conferences that might be not as empathetic, but I feel like mm. uh, there is always there's always really understanding people and people that give great positive feedback. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's still challenging. Mm. Yeah. And I think, I think it's kind of one good thing about them or in my experience was that it's like everyone is a fish out of water a little bit, like, because it's yeah. not, it's not at anyone's university. You probably have come by yourself, like maybe mm. with someone, you maybe you know someone before, but it's like, I think when everyone's a little bit yeah out of their comfort zone it's a good way to be like hey <laughs> hi what are you studying or like where are you I don't know I feel like there's built-in questions that start conversations like what university yes. are you at and then you're just like you can go from there um yeah yeah you just be awkward like me and the first thing you say is "Ha! Huh, I had a hard time finding this room my pizza <laughs> crying <laughs> And then people are like, you know, either they like what you just said or they don't. And it's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. But just say it to the next person. <laughs> like, yeah, yes, I mean, you know, chances are many people doing a PhD are awkward, weird, mm. like me. I don't want to say <laughs> because I don't know if you identify as awkward, but I definitely am. So, I mean, there's always someone to talk to. Yeah. And I think everyone's, I remember giving this advice to my younger brother when he started uni. I was just like, oh, um, everyone is just waiting for someone to start talking. 
because no one wants to be the first one so just start it and it's fine like everyone wants to make friends like (laughs) no one's there like don't talk to me to think about it yeah but I think at the conference I mean there might be someone who's awkward as well so you speak to them and it's like oh okay your awkwardness does not match with my awkwardness (laughs) we need to like but there will be someone (laughs) that's actually really good advice because I think I'd thought in my I got this idea in my head that just from going to a couple of conferences where there has been the case but probably not always that it would be full of people who are quite established and like all like know each other and sort of like oh hey nice to see you again and like I didn't fit fit into that um so yeah that's actually reassuring that that's not always the case so yeah and even like I don't know if you've had it but you sometimes you're there and then you're chatting to someone and then people will be like oh how do you know each other it's like oh, we don't know each other we're just mm, so we, we just started chatting <laughs> and so it's just like having that yeah and also these people are presenting it kind of gives you something to talk to them about as well Mm. like oh you're using this method or you're you know you can keep it academic which Mm. also it's like a little small talk safe zone (laughs) talk about the room talk about like the presentations Mm -hmm. where you've come from yeah six of being a human being but yeah Yeah, I also don't think it's a bad thing to just say you know what I feel quite nervous like Mm -hmm. are you nervous how do you handle that I you know, because if somebody doesn't want to speak to you, obviously they don't have to, and you can get the vibe from that. But most times people are like, oh my gosh, I'm actually so nervous. And it's not my first presentation. Like last year at a conference, I met this super established um, senior lecturer and she just was like, I'm super nervous. This is the first autoethnography I'm presenting. And it was like, that's so cool that you shared that with me. It makes me feel like it's okay to be nervous and to stumble across my words. And it's also okay during the presentation, which I often have to do because my thoughts spiral faster than I can put words into my mouth. It's like, I'm so sorry. I just need a second to collect my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, what are they going to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly it's but the thing is I think also putting yourself in the position of like when you've seen someone stumble over their words or have to take a second I don't think oh my god they're terrible I just think that's such a normal part of like doing a presentation and mm. anyone but, who's ever presented knows what it takes to stand in front of a big audience or however small it is it's still an audience and it's mm. very you make yourself really vulnerable because it's your knowledge that you are presenting through yourself. Mm. One thing I've been thinking in general, actually, is about doing the PhD is like, I think I found it a bit odd when I started being like a student again and like um, how sometimes people treat you as a student or like, like you're, I don't know, it was a bit of a weird balance. I think because I've been working and I'm older as well. I'm like, I don't know how much older you are than me, but it feels like you're talking, they're not even talking down, but like talking like you're a student. Yeah. And I kind of one thing I was like, okay, I need to just embrace the student element of it because one, it is my first PhD. I've never done one before. So if people are helping out or being extra kind about how they talk to me, that's good. And I should embrace it. <laughs> and like, I think maybe with like presenting and stuff, also having that, it's like, we're new, we're newbies. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, I think accepting that and being like, okay, so there's going to be some leeway for me. 
and like embracing it because it's not always going to be there so it's like mm-hmm. if people yeah. judge you he's like I'm a PhD student leave me alone <laughs> yeah and I feel like sometimes it can work to our advantage to be underestimated yeah exactly I prefer that I prefer that like Again, we talked in our last episode about aesthetic labor, how we present ourselves with clothes, with what we're wearing, how we're speaking, you know. And I think, yeah, as you say, Megan, I feel like a lot of times people already like have that image of you because they hear a title, PhD student. Mm -hmm. So, and I feel like, you know, there's a certain satisfaction when you then present and you have super interesting research, not perfect research, but super interesting, important research. And people afterwards are like, wow, you know, I really liked what you did, what mm-hmm. you talked about. And and I'm like, yeah, continue underestimating me. Yeah. <laughs> it can work to our advantage. Um, yeah, but it's, I think I, I do the same. Like I hear somebody is a senior lecturer and I can't help myself but think, oh my God, they know exactly what they're doing. They already know. Like I can't afford a mistake. And most of the times these are people that, you know, are frustrated like you and I that are tired, that, you know, have a lot to do, have to catch up on emails and yeah. I don't know. How about... um? So how about journals? Has this is something I know basically nothing about? So anyone? Any thoughts? I also don't know anything about them except for the vague need that I will have to think about them soon. <laughs> it's like, oh think about publishing. But I don't I think that's uh, I don't, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point you're actually mentioning, Megan, because I feel like there's a lot of work that we have to do when it comes to choosing journals that align with our values and our research and maybe our like, you know, I don't know, research philosophy. So, and that takes a lot of time. Also when you're thinking about, because you get that question at some point. So in what journals are you planning on publishing in? Mm -hmm. So, and then again, that requires like, you know, in my first year I said, well, I'm not sure yet. I need to do a lot more research. So that's what I did. And it's, it's a lot of pressure seeing for really, really highly ranked journals, what it takes and how your writing is expected to be. And there's lots of, I feel like, again, masculine norms in academic writing that we have to then adhere to. And again, it's just emotional labor to just say, okay, I guess I'll have to do it this way. But um, I haven't published anything yet. Um, I am like co-authoring different projects and that that took me to like researching certain journals expectations and yeah with their kind of like requirements but I have reviewed for journals so um I've like been recommended to review articles on for example um I don't know what was the last one I reviewed uh it was on like uh, feminism and it had to do with kind of non-binary bathrooms and academic institutions so um, that was super interesting I feel like through the process of reviewing I've gotten maybe a tiny bit less nervous about submitting a paper in the future because I see that these papers they're not perfect most of them are have incredible potential but 
you know, I feel like if they were perfect from the very beginning, also people couldn't grow, their writing couldn't improve. So it's actually been, it makes you reflect about your own writing, about how you structure your own papers. So again, it's a super rewarding process, um, but it takes so much time. Mm -hmm. review I ever wrote towards the end of my first year I wrote seven pages and my supervisors were like no <laughs> like, you, this is not sustainable like you have to really focus on the most important points because you know a review can still be very constructive and helpful in like two pages mm -hmm. so I really had to learn to kind of balance that work because I didn't know what was expected and I'm also like, I'm a PhD student. How, what do I know about reviewing? But you kind of get like thrown into it, I guess, but in the best possible way. And you learn from there. But yeah, that's kind of like my, my experience. Um, but I haven't published yet. So I couldn't talk about the feeling of rejection, which happens often. So, yeah. How did you so did your supervisors just ask you to review it or like what happened? Like I asked them. Okay. I asked them, hey, I would like to get so I attended this um I attended a conference leading back to conferences mm -hmm. um, in my first year where I did not present just for networking purposes. And then in one of the sessions for PhD students, um, this lecturer said it's really important you get reviewing experience as early as possible. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, interesting. What does that mean? I research. What does reviewing mean? Okay, now I know. I go to my supervisors and I'm like, hey, are you by chance editors or reviewers of certain journals? And would you feel comfortable with forwarding me some of the papers so I get some experience? And they were super happy doing that. Um, and you always have the option to decline or accept a reviewing offer. So in a time where you're super busy, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, you can always decline and then maybe um, suggest someone else that you know is in that field and would appreciate reading a paper like that. But other than that, I've also reached out to journals, um, for example, to the Journal of Business Ethics to kind of broaden my, I don't know, horizon. And I said, hey, um, do you need any more reviewers for the section on gender? I'd be happy to review some papers. Um, and most times they're pretty friendly about it because it's volunteer work. It's mm. unpaid labor, right? So I think like every journal needs reviewers. But um, yeah, I think I'm sure there's like you could like reach out to people and people just offer you some things. Yeah, I did. I remember hearing about these. I heard that PhD students could re do reviews and I remember thinking like you said it's like oh I'm just a PhD student but then like you said it's volunteer work and the, I think they need people <laughs> to do it and also like we do have some expertise <laughs> so it's like yeah I yeah feel it's really easy to underestimate ourselves mm. again not just being underestimated by others but underestimate ourselves yeah because we bring new perspectives right like we're a whole new generation of PhD researchers and things change fast mm. okay so shall we talk about teaching now um I think everyone's done this so yeah who wants to go Sarah do you want to go first this time sure um <laughs> <laughs> 
I yeah I did teaching last term and I'm redoing it again this term I've really enjoyed it I find it um very interesting and um rewarding but it's also again a lot of work um and not just the teaching but then the marking as well which is of marking of students essays and things like that um is also very time consuming but also again I find quite interesting and a new skill to develop I think for me because teaching was always something I've been really really interested in as a part of academia probably more than the research I find it um it's really nice to finally be doing it I guess it's also the one I don't know obviously there are circumstances where you are paid for other things but it's one of the few things where you're actually given some compensation financial compensation on top of your whether you're fun I don't know if you're funded as a PhD researcher or not um yeah how about how about you guys Yeah, I, I really like teaching. Like, I was doing quite a lot last term. I don't know if it's a lot, but like two hours, about four hours a week for a couple of weeks and then two hours a week. Um, And yeah, I enjoy it. Like, I was on a module where they were talking about bodies and like Foucault and all these things, stuff, this stuff that I need to like kind of know about as well. And I think one thing that I kind of was reflecting on is like, when you have to teach and explain something to someone you really understand it <laughs> like I feel like it really helped me like when I'm discussing like uh concepts with people with like, students or they'll be asking questions it was like oh this is really getting ingrained in my mind like now so it's like I don't know I think it's quite a useful I guess depending on what you're doing because I've done like ones which about like writing an essay and stuff like that so it's less like relevant to the PhD but I have found some of the work teaching work helpful for getting in an academic mindset I guess and also building like you said the teaching skill that I want to use once I finish my PhD it's kind of it feels quite valuable for that reason it's like oh this is tangible work experience basically and and also I like talking to the students as well and seeing what they're thinking and because they're some they're younger it's like they have these different experiences like different relationships with like online worlds and different I don't know even talking about COVID with them it's like oh I was working from home and they were not going to school and it's like this is such a different experience about them so I felt like yeah I like it and it's nice yeah I like it <laughs> how about you Ibri uh yeah I think for me so I mean my background is in teaching so I've always always enjoyed like uh, teaching especially um, migrants and international students and because I was teaching languages um, so I think one of the most exciting parts for me has been to teach international students as an international student myself in this country and it kind of really you know makes you think a lot more because the classrooms are so much bigger the people in the seminars, these are huge groups. So it kind of like really makes you think about how do I stay up to date with like teaching methods, make them as inclusive as possible, also for super diverse learners. Um, so that's been really exciting for me because again, I think 
I, I do a lot of research on teaching. Like there's this one journal on management learning and it talks about how different aspects of, you know, how we can kind of facilitate learning on a broader level, including teaching methods. But um, something I've always thought as a teacher is the huge invisible load that no one sees. And I think I'm specifically thinking of Sometimes you have to teach subjects that are not directly linked to your expertise. So I've made the experience that I had to study myself for certain things to feel comfortable enough to teach it. And I think part of that is also because my background is not in management. It's in social politics and sociology. So, and I think people often are in this kind of situation and that increases the workload so much more because you have a responsibility to be able to answer questions that go beyond just PowerPoint slides. I never feel comfortable just acquainting myself with what's on the PowerPoint slide provided by a module leader. I feel like I need to know so much more because you never know. Um, and the other thing is the marking part. I feel like how much time, yes, how much time are we compensated for? Because there's certain regulations in place, you are compensated for marking an essay under 2000 words for up to 20 minutes. But realistically, you are investing a lot more time in marking one essay because you want to do it justice. And I think we all remember getting incredibly detailed feedback as students. I think it's the best thing you can get. Um, because it really helps you to like grow from there. So I don't just want to provide a generic feedback of three sentences. Um, and I find that difficult because we do not get compensated for that. Um, yes, it's rewarding as a learning process, but money is also important <laughs> as PhD students. And before I was on the ESRC funding as a graduate teaching fellow, basically you have to fulfill overall of 300 hours of teaching because you get that bursary. So it's kind of like this transactional relationship, but you don't actually get paid for teaching. So, and I think that may be the case in many different funding instances. So yeah, I feel quite lucky being on, on ESRC now. Um, but yeah, I think I, I wish there was more compensation for students because it's a lot of labor next to your PhD. Yeah, it, it is. And I think um, time is really like, I guess in this whole discussion, it's like an important part of it because it's like you're doing two hours of teaching, but then that means like probably hour, maybe two hours of reading if you haven't read it or more, depending on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then also I feel like when you do teaching, it takes a lot out of you. It's kind of like doing interviews and research and stuff. It's like you can't really, it's hard to snap back into doing different work later that day so it's kind of like I think it's something I, I'm trying to be more careful with this term because I found that I really like it because it's very tangible as well like you're kind of having that experience with people you're like marking an essay it's like you've done it that kind of thing but then it's like oh I'm missing out I'm not focused on my PhD enough so I'm, yeah. I'm trying to be careful to like not do too much because it's quite distracting 
even if it's like two hours a week it sounds like oh that's very easy to do but then it's like oh no it's not it's not just the time it's like the distraction Mm. I know quite a few people who have ended up doing more than they probably should and it resulting in like huge stress for them and also sometimes people having to do more because um they're not funded or they've reached the end of their Mm. funding they haven't completed so then they're doing a colossal amount of teaching and then also trying to finish their PhD and like we had a talk a few like before Christmas um from three people who'd recently finished their PhD basically having all done like an enormous amount of teaching while in their in their final year of writing up and um basically they were all really traumatized by that experience from what we could see and then everyone else was therefore traumatized by hearing about it and what was ahead for them but it yeah I definitely think it's a huge one to balance I think one of the biggest ones really to be very careful with yeah I think also yeah I don't know so there's also additional stuff like we're doing a podcast right now which mm. is extra <laughs> I was thinking about the same thing thanks yeah for yeah it's like we're doing the podcast which I like it's fun and we I feel like we're really both all all three of us have tried to manage the time it took but at the beginning it was a bit of a like oh no this is too much work but then I, I, I don't know I feel like we're finding a balance but again that's something that we're doing which is good for our profile enjoy it it's nice to we both we all met I feel like when we um started it was like oh yeah it's a nice way to meet people who are from diverse backgrounds and doing interesting research <laughs> um but yeah that's another part of the load which I don't know no I think it's you're totally right like so many of these things that we were saying are really rewarding and also really fun um and then even if they are also quite hard and stressful and tedious at times so it's you know it's not to say they don't come without like really positive things but it is it is still difficult yeah and I, I think aside even so I don't know if there's any additional stuff that you guys do but I'm like I try and network in general at uni like you know I'm always like going to events or trying to find events to go to partly for friend making feeling more part of the community you know when you move someone new there's also like a lot of like stuff you have to do to try and yeah uh I don't know feel like a person <laughs> in the place so it's like oh I go to like there's like the social justice network which I like going to because it's like a networking thing and a nice way to meet other students department stuff like department meetings department presentations or events that's another one yeah you always get told hey we really encourage you to come to these speaker sessions Mm -hmm. to network but also to make an appearance within your department and you know sometimes it's just impossible because especially if you're collecting data you are dependent on other people's time but also if we ourselves are not feeling well we can't show up for ourselves for others and we can't do well and I feel like lots of time something that gets so lost is like our mental well-being our physical well-being trying to find time for taking walks out in nature or whatever we like doing Zumba or Pilates because that's an hour and 
I don't want it to get to that point where I'm like, ugh, but then I will work out for an hour and then I'll shower and make myself feel better. I have a coffee that's two and a half hours that I could be investing in my research. It should not be either or, but I feel like unfortunately, you know, with all these extra things within internal departments even, it sometimes gets to that point. It becomes this either or, and it really shouldn't. Yeah, also considering we're like people with friends and family, and <laughs> so it's like I, you know, I have to hang out with people Bye. outside of this live. Like you just, you know, I want to go out or do something else. So it's like, yeah, it's it's a lot of stuff, which again is good because it's kind of like the stuff I want to do, like academically. I'm like, I want to write papers. I want to go to events and meet people and present my research. I want to teach. <laughs> So it's it's hard to find that balance because you're like, I want to I want to do all these things, but also the big thinking work of PhD is easy to ignore. Not ignore. Yeah, yeah ignore. Um neglect probably is a better word, but and it's really easy to forget that the PhD at the end of the day, it's a it's supposed to be a part of our lives, but it's not supposed to be the major part of our lives. And it's hard to let that sink in because this is what we get paid for. Mm. This is our job. So, but again, then your job should not define who you are or your life. But I find that a difficult one. I find it a difficult one when people tell me it shouldn't be like that because, well, we're all trying to make a living. We're all trying to survive um, in this economy and world. So... I don't know. Yeah. I once, met, I once met an academic who said um, that it's quite hard to fail a PhD when it gets to the viva, but it's it's quite hard not to drop out before the end. So yeah. she was basically saying, you know, it's like a lot of a PhD is sort of an emotional battle with um, all of these conflicting things. And if you can get through it, then you'll probably, and and you've written a PhD, you'll probably be all right ultimately. But it's just if you can reach that point. Fighting your PH demons. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> so yeah, that's a bit bleak, isn't it? Really, way <laughs> to end. Um, so to wrap up, do we have any advice to give poor little people who are listening? Uh, I think uh, my advice would be prioritize, prior, can I say it? Prioritize and say no and also be aware of time. That's three pieces of advice. But I think it's like you don't have to do it all at the same time. Like if you're doing a lot of teaching or if you're doing teaching, don't you don't have to do every week. You could balance it. If you're doing a conference, maybe you don't need to worry about teaching for the moment. Yeah, I, I think balance it throughout. Um, yeah, I think balance. And also focus on your PhD. That's the thing you're meant to do. This is advice for myself. <laughs> focus on the PhD. Yeah, I think, mm, like, I can just add to that. I think we all love that, like, dopamine high of getting things done, getting stuff finished. Like, oh, my God, I, you know, I submitted this for this deadline and I prepared this workshop and this conference. But then I feel like 
before it comes to the point where you're so drained that you can't function right for two, three days, which does happen, happens to me. I've been trying, not that this is an advice per se, but I've been trying to really set boundaries, like really think about, can I commit to this? What would it take to commit to this? Would I have to sacrifice me time, which means going for a walk with my dog for an hour? If I have to sacrifice that, it's going to be a no from me because those are things I need to function as a human being outside the PhD. So for me, it's a lot about like taking care of my mental health. And, you know, I think also sometimes it helps to speak with other people about I feel so overwhelmed. How do you feel right now? Being at the stage of the research, just kind of like I think connecting with others through shared struggles is very helpful. But other than that, I think it's just a really difficult journey to kind of balance everything, like the word itself balance I think is just a tricky one so trial and error yeah I completely agree I think the PhD a PhD is sort of this feeling of being pulled in different directions um but it's also for quite a considerable length of time um so you have to be re realistic and manage that um like everyone said you know if if you're doing one thing this term maybe just do that that one thing so that you can still keep your PhD going um and I frequently reach a point yeah well my brain just won't work and mm -hmm. it's just saying no and I think it's very important to listen if that happens and then sort of take a look at what you're doing and think about why that might be and how you might be able to prioritize better but it's a constant thing it's like a constant learning of like seeing yourself slipping into things and then having to take a step back and think hang on I am a person outside of this situation mm -hmm. um, but I think it's sort of how the system works so it's quite hard to fight against that and also I think one part of saying no to stuff that's difficult is I think all of us like by doing this podcast you can say it, you put yourself out there so then people know that you are a doer <laughs> like they know to ask you you're kind of like being visible kind of makes you the person that people will be like oh maybe ask them they might do it so it's also like balancing the, it's not a persona but like you have to be comfortable saying no because often it's like personal it's like an individual asking you for help it's not just like mm -hmm. it's like you specifically so it's, I don't know it's yeah not always being available is a good thing yeah so that's all from us this episode. Thanks for listening to Bending Boundaries. Remember, you can get in touch with us on Instagram at Bending Boundaries Podcast to tell us your thoughts on everything we've discussed today. And you can also find us on Twitter at Bending Bound Pot. And we always love to hear from you. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Catch Bye. you next time.